are with Fellowship of Cybertron, the introduction episode. I am Devin, the Overlord, and to my left we have X playing Y. Nicole playing Breakout, made up of Smash and Grab, the Autobot Wrecker, who is the Pair Playbook. Tyler playing Flutter, who is the Elf Playbook. Kevin playing Necronom, who is unaligned and he's the spider bunk. And Peter Ross, Multiplex the Firstborn, a Decepticon Giant. Okay, so here we are with a brand new game, guys. Uh, so let's... So, the game we're playing uh, in this series is Fellowship. Um, at the time of this intro's recording, the second edition Kickstarter is over and out. At the time of the first episode, it wasn't. So, yeah, whatever. But there's not a real huge difference between first and second edition, except for rules clarification. So whatever you have, it's, it's fine. Uh, Fellowship is a game about playing through, I don't want to say the hero's journey, but it's playing through like the sort of multiple people, community, relationship building adventure story. Like the examples in the book that are pretty obvious are like Avatar The Last Airbender, um, the Lord, Lord of the Rings. Rings. Uh, people talk about Wakfu being a good example. I think JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stardust Crusaders, is also thrown out there. Um, I can't think of anything else. It's late. I'm tired. <laughs> but the idea of you have a group of people, and you have a threat to the world, and the group of people go from community to community, seeing the damage the threat to the world has done, uh, dealing with that damage, becoming closer friends, forming bonds with that community, and then eventually facing that threat and dealing with it, either through violence or through trickery or through empathy and talking with them. Oh, another example would be uh, She-Ra and the Princess of Power. That just came out. Oh, and I think Voltron would be an, an okay kind of almost fit. Um, so in Fellowship, the playbooks are... Okay, yeah, let's close now. I didn't realize the fucking trains would go on for this long. Also, um... Voltron definitely, and they probably also uh, did the let's continue going thing. I know, it's just the, the, uh, the reason I say it doesn't have one for one, and it never really has to, is that the, the pilots aren't really from different cultures, like in the sense that Fellowship does it. But like, yeah, it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. So the playbooks are basically archetypical ideas of yeah. cultures and representatives of them. So there's a playbook called The Elf, and that represents being all the different kind of ways you can be a weird, detached from everyone else, aloof, fae-like creature. In some versions, it's like tiny little sprites and fair folk. In some, it's D&D or slash Tolkien elves. Uh, another example was like space people from beyond the stars. And in ours, uh, you know, we had like uh, unaligned nomadic spy people. Uh, you know, th this goes for every playbook. There's the elf, the dwarf, the orc, the halfling, the heir to the throne, the squire. There's other weird ones like the dragon, the spider, the giant, that sort of thing. And they're not really one specific thing. Again, they're they're archetypal. They're 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 a narrative package that kind of lets you build what you want from there. So fellowship isn't really constrained by like sci-fi or fantasy or that sort of thing. It's kind of all of that stuff as long as it follows that sort of Avatar: The Last Airbender plot that kind of pacing where it's kind of episodic where each session they're doing something that's almost self-contained and in the background the threat which in the standard fellowship is another player called the overlord fellowship doesn't really have a referee or a gm everyone's playing a character in the standard loadout so the overlord who is the threat to the world 
they're doing their own thing in the background and growing in power and you're trying to subvert them. And helping communities helps you subvert them and helps you kind of build up from there. Anything else I should talk to with a, about Fellowship? Powered by the oh, Apocalypse. It's powered by the Apocalypse, which as we've said many, 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 many times, it's not a system, it's not a generic system, it's not like a package of mechanics, it's a, divine, it's a design philosophy. So a lot of things that exist in Powered by the Apocalypse games exist here, but in their own way. So like, you know, the, the referee type doesn't ever act, they make cuts and they react to the other players. You know, the idea of playbooks, the idea of moves, the idea of the narrative informing the mechanics instead of the mechanics informing the narrative. That is all, of course, present. Yeah, you have moves other than stats and so on. Yeah, like, like uh, the the 2d6 and then the dice and the numbers don't really matter to Fellowship. They don't really are, I mean, they don't really matter to Power of the Apocalypse, just some games choose to use them. Yeah. But it's more of a design goal where you're trying to, all Power of the Apocalypse games build a very hyper-focused narrative that they're trying to deliver through the game and not try to generalize too much. Mm -hmm. And in Fellowship's case, it allows for a lot of games of a very wide variety in tone that follow basically the same trajectory. So it's kind of neat. Yeah. Also, I guess the city itself reflects the principles of like, oh, how do you play such a game? How do you do it? Yeah. Oh, you're supposed to be heroic, and the overall is supposed to be the evil guy. You're supposed to help people, solve problems, and the overall is supposed to be thwarting that. You're so, so supposed to be sharing the spotlight and things like that. You know, all the, the game's mechanics. mechanics, while the mechanics don't inform the game, the game's mechanics help guide and teach you how to build the narrative, which is great. This is the first game I've played, I think, ever, where the rules for the game and the way the game wants to be played synced up with, synced up together and synced up with the intent, and that the rules didn't get in my goddamn way. Like, with, like, Exalted 3rd Edition, D&D, Traveler, GURPS, even, yeah, those games, the rules are constantly getting in my fucking way. They're constantly, I'm tripping over them and I'm trying to, like, move through them to get what I want. In other games, like, I don't know, Godbound's a good example. Um, I'm going to say Broken Worlds, because Broken Worlds was a good game, but it wasn't, like, top tier for me. Like, I really like it, mm -hmm. but you can like things in different ways. Yep. Uh, so Godbound, Broken Worlds. Um, Chronicles of Darkness? The Chronicles of Darkness systems is exactly it. Like, all of those ones, even Vampire, which I think is the best one out of them. Yeah. They didn't get in my way, but they weren't doing anything for me. Those games don't really help push the story they're about forward really in any way. Like, and that's really hard to do. And Fellowship was the first game to be in this new category where I played the game as it wanted to be played, and we all did. And the rules pushed us towards playing it the way we wanted to be played. Like, it actually helped us and guided us and made it incentivize us to do what the game wanted you to do. And that was kind of a big deal for me, anyway, as someone who, like, looks at the games we play and game design and how easy it is to run them. <clears throat> so I think that's Fellowship as an introduction to it. Um, there was a Kickstarter, you can't back it anymore, but just go buy it on the DriveThruRPG, or, or itch, itch.io, itch.io, if you don't want to give DTRPG your money because they're a monopoly. Anyway, the second half of this is, so this is a fellowship game, there are a group of heroes from different uh, communities and diverse cultures coming together to be friends, coming together to help other communities, and forge friendship. And they're going to try to stop an overlord. Uh, who I am playing, who has their own generals and organizations and resources from doing something awful that'll change the world in such a way that the players want to prevent it. The, the, the lair of this game is Transformers. 
And that's how Burst Hell Fellowship is, because we just talked about Avatar and, like, She-Ra and, like, Transformers, you know, robots in disguise, big giant robot people shooting each other forever. So, specifically, this game draws a lot of inspiration from the IDW comic series and the aligned continuity. IDW has been going on for a while. It has a very solid comic continuity. There's a lot going on there. It has a lot of depth and characterization and moments. It's, it's shockingly progressive for a comic and a Transformers comic. Like, there are outright openly trans characters and LGBT relationships in, in a comic about robots that punch each other forever that are toys. <laughs> I, I don't know. Batman, Batwoman can't get married, but these guys can pull it off. I don't know, man. Comics are weird. Um, the other continuity is aligned. And aligned continuity started with the Fall and War for Cybertron games uh, on the PC, and then carried over to the cart to the animated cartoon Transformers Prime, which then carried on to this robot in disguise thing with Bumblebee that happened later that really didn't work out too well. Like it kind of just ended. Uh, but I kind of merged those two from ideas about Transformers, where it's a beautiful world that fell into war because it went to Rome and got really corrupt and awful, and now there's this whole thing going on. Um, it's it's specifically a sequel to Fall of Cybertron. I think mean, this game ended up being like it's a story of happened. It's a story of what happened after on Cybertron after the fall, after everyone left. Everyone left the ark, and we got left behind. Exactly. It's our story. Exactly. Uh, so my, I've been trying to run a Transformers game for a long time, and it wasn't because I had a plot in mind, and you'll hear me repeat this later in the outro, but I didn't know anything about what this game was going to be going in. I didn't have an idea for a plot, or, or a villain, or like, like, you know, things that would happen. That wasn't what I was thinking of when I wanted to run Transformers. I wanted to run a Transformers game and get into, like, some ideas I had in my head about it. About how it's really a story about like World War One trench warfare. About how Cybertronians, like Transformers, they're just people like you and me, and they have the same perspective we have. Just because they live for a million for millions of years doesn't mean that they like, you know, they're they're so far beyond us we can't understand them. Because it's a it's a comic written about toys. They're just soldiers in a war. So like, if you take a dude who fought in World War One and made him fight World War One for sixty five million continuous years and he couldn't die, and he could be put back together if he got blown apart, that guy would be pretty fucked and miserable. But not like in a misery porn kind of way, more in that I think if you look at Transformers from this perspective of it being a war story, the way certain characters are characterized, like they're all hyper-specific, like Ratchet is an ambulance and he's a doctor, and that's really all he is. Um, you know, uh, Arsenal or um, Bombshell or whatever his name is, the tank is a tank guy. He's really focused on demolitions and he makes kapow blam noises when he talks and that's his whole personality. Shockwave is nothing but an amoral scientist. Starscream is nothing but a, scream, a schemer anymore. I think that's all informed by the trauma of being in a war that never ends with people who never really die. And that's kind of one of the ideas I just had. Like these are people who've known each other forever. They're not seeing new faces. They all have stories. They've all fought each other before and it just keeps going on on cultural inertia. And that's the big hurdle to it. Like, you have these leaders in this war that have big personalities like Megatron and Optimus and Ultra Magnus and Ironside, Ironhide and um, Soundwave and Shockwave. And their force of personality and their legend and their grand Aussie pushes everyone else in the war and no, it never really stops. It's a train that just has no brakes. And 
these were things I wanted to explore in a Transformers game, and there's never been really a system for me to do that. Like, someone made a Transformers game off of Basic Expert or the Call of Cthulhu game from Chaosium, and that was a nightmare. Uh, there was a Fate version, and that we've, we've tried Fate like eight times, and it's been miserable every time, because Fate's like, it's basically D&D or GURPS. Someone suggested GURPS. <laughs> so we've gone through a lot of games to try and kind of look at it, but never, none of them really caught me. And Transformers did, because it's all about building relationships and talking and having Fellowship did. It's all about relationships and talking and having quiet moments in between the violence to just talk about your life before things went bad. And that's the kind of stuff that pushes towards that kind of storytelling. Yeah. Um, so that is Transformers. If you need any more explanation about what it is, I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> it, 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 it's it, what is Autobots fight their battle to destroy the evil forces of the Decepticons. It's a toy commercial. Their endless war, thank you. Their endless war to destroy <laughs> the evil forces of the Decepticons. Um, so that is the pitch. Fellowship, Transformers. Uh, I'm going to move on to characters now. So who wants to go first and talk about their character? Their, who their character is, what they look like, their playbook, their personality, all that stuff. Pat out some time. I can go first. Um, Nicole. My character... I'll start with describing the playbook, and then I'll go into the specific character. Uh, so I was the pair playbook, which is basically you play two characters. Two characters that individually aren't really as good as a normal character would be. But when they work together, they reach greater heights than most regular people could. Uh, so good examples of that are, um, what's that samurai again? Lone Wolf and Cub. Lone Wolf and Cub, I think, is a good example. Um, Marianne Pippin. Yeah, Marianne Pippin, I think, are like the iconic example. I don't know. They work together, but I don't think they do anything. They're not like so. interchangeable in that way. Well, like, they're oh. interchangeable, but they don't do anything. So it doesn't matter. Reality, no, no, no. Yes. Oh, sorry, sorry. I, I'm forgetting the most obvious fucking example. Garnet from Steven Universe. Yes. Individually, um, Sapphire and Ruby are kind of just whatever, but together they're super powerful. Oh shit, Nicole, you just fucking spoiled Steven Universe. Don't you respect spoiler culture? <laughs> um, I can't think of any others at the moment, but uh, so many transformers. Yeah, <laughs> usually it's just like a samurai and their apprentice, or like a knight and their squire, or like anything like that fits in really well. Um, that's really all I have to say about the playbook. Um, it oh, also your, your organization. Oh yeah, I'm, your... I'm getting there. Um, so that's essentially the playbook. Uh, they ramp up pretty quickly to be really powerful. I played that specifically as a combiner, so I play two characters that literally combine into one character that's stronger. Um, that character, hmm, actually no, yeah, I'll do the I'll do the organization before the character. So in the playbook, you you get access to fleshing out an organization of like, I guess mercenaries. Essentially, it can be kind of whatever. They're you want they're to. basically glory hogs, is what it sounds like. <laughs> like they think it's really cool when you do big things which really fit the organization that I chose for my character to be a part of, which is the Wreckers, which are part of the Autobot faction, you know, the good guys. <laughs> the Wreckers are basically the, the bots that are sent in on way dangerous missions that the average soldier wouldn't be able to handle. They're the ones that go on missions where there's a very high chance they will not make it back alive. Um, they have like the absolute 
ridiculously highest uh, death rate on missions as compared to everyone else. Uh, they really value, you know, upfrontness, like just going in and wrecking shit, not, you know, being all fiddly about it. <laughs> they break the chain of command a lot. Oh yeah, they break the chain of command all over the goddamn place. Um, what else is there to say about the Wreckers? Uh, they're basically the A-Team. They're disposable assets. They're they're special ops. Like, yeah. They're just those kinds of characters. Yeah, exactly. Um, so my character was a part of that organization. Um, because of the timeline the game was set in, it didn't come up as much as it could have, I guess. No, it didn't. Oh. But whatever. It could have come up more. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you guys know what Autobots are. They're the good guys, everybody. This game kind of blurred those lines a lot because it was after the war, but... Yeah, which is okay. That was intentional. Yeah, that was completely intentional. But, like, during the war, yeah, they're the good guys. <laughs> um, my characters, Smash and Grab, um, basically were forged, I guess is the word? Yeah. Yeah, they, they like, were born uh, naturally, not made by other Autobots. There's two different classes of Autobot, or of Cybertronians. Uh, so they were born, they were basically immediately kidnapped by the Decepticons and experimented upon, and that's where they got their combiner uh, technology from, and also their ground bridge, bridge technology, which they yeah. also have. Yeah, someone stuck a ground bridge inside of you. Which is weird, but it is very useful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, they're basically both combat characters, individually and together. Um, Smash is more of the hothead, Grab is more of the calm person. Uh, it doesn't really, you can't really tell the difference though. They're, they're, they're basically the same person because they've been together so, for so long. Um, and yeah, together they are known as Breakout. Um, I didn't flesh out the personalities individually or as Breakout all that much. So they're basically just one character, but that's who they are. <laughs> uh, their colors are blue and gold. Uh, when they're separated, Smash is more blue, Grab is more gold. And I have a pair of cyber foxes with me, who are actually people. Like, they're... they're Most cool. things on Cybertron are people. Yeah, they're sentient and everything. They're not just animals. They have a spark. Yeah. Um, but they both, um, their forms are either cyber foxes or a sword and a gun, so, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I played Flutter, uh, and I chose the Elf playbook. Um, you can build Elves in a lot of different ways, but they're usually aloof and graceful. Um, I chose to make mine as like a nomadic spy drone. Uh, I chose the fairy subsection of being an elf so that they were very miniature and small and tiny and elusive, um, but they can also fly, uh, which was really great. That was a lot of fun. Uh, and they have uh, elven magic as one of their core moves. Uh, key amongst that was one of the things that allowed me to become invisible. Um, and then invisible, I became a super great sniper. Um, my people... I chose to call them uh, LVs in the setting. Uh, Tongue in cheek. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they were uh, 
They were nomadic and neutral in the Great War, and they acted as spies and information brokers um, and scouts and whatnot. Um, I, in particular, was a very young, naive, and new LV who had just been freshly manufactured um, and had a lot of preconceived notions about the world and how it worked that ended up being challenged. Um, yeah, I can't think of anything else. Okay, um, I played Necronom, the spider playbook. Spiders are kind of meant to be liars and schemers. They are alien compared to like most other like other races are meant to be. Um, Your character I, is a little strange. <laughs> yeah. So I designed Necronom after a xenomorph. He was a um, a form exempt in that he was treated as you know not a piece of trash by the rest of society. Yeah. To, to give context to this, before the war, there was incredible amounts of classism based on what your alt form was in society. So. If you were, if your alt form was one thing, that was the job you got assigned. If you were like a hauling form, like a truck or whatever, you were assigned to be a dumb laborer. But if the government thought you were good enough, they made you form exempt and allowed you to work in some other job. Yeah, he was one of the good ones and was allowed to uh, become a scientist. What was your alt form before uh, before it became what it became? Was it? Do you remember something really multifunctional, probably. Like just like like a science car or something. Yeah, yeah. Like some sort of like maybe, maybe a, a probe like tarantulas. Oh yeah, I think you like I a think mouth. You said that. I don't something really like remember. that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, basically, uh, before the war, he was a sympathizer with the Decepticon cause because they were you know freedom fighters back in the day. And before the war really took off, he was sent on a mission of discovery with a bunch of others like him. And while there on this planet, he discovered the Xenomorph race, which yeah. he and his people uh, took the form of. Yeah, to, to make this abundantly clear, he didn't find things that looked like Xenomorphs. They went to like LV-451, like like where Alien happens, and found like Xenomorphs in the space jockey ship and stuff. And redesigned their alt forms to be machine Xenomorphs and like imitate them. Because also they are so cute and tiny in comparison. Yeah, keep in mind, Tribertronians are like ten times the size of a person. Yep, so um, this took like centuries, and they brutalized their like guards and whatnot, and hijacked the ship and took it back home. And it was at that point where they realized that the Decepticons had turned into something different altogether, and all his war heroes and people he looked up to and all his friends had suddenly become psychopathic um, murderers and terrorists, which left him incredibly disillusioned with the entire idea of causes and rebellion and whatnot. So, he's a very pragmatic person. Um, kind of incredible gallows humor to cope. Uh, his people are very much the same. They're all very pragmatic and very alien as far as, like, you know, uh, not Autobots, Cybertronians go. They developed their own entire own society in the ship that they had. Which crash landed back on Cybertron, basically. Yeah, and your people turned that ship into a hive, basically, like a base of operations. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, uh, your character knew Tarantulas. You guys went to the university together. You have a bond with him, and like, like not like a mechanical one. Like you knew him. Yeah, yeah. Before everything went fucking crazy, they were very good friends before everything happened. And my playbook is the giant. The giants have the big things in the setting. They're strong. They're you know probably. They can do things that other people couldn't think of, and for them it's normal to be really strong and move mountains and jump to the moon and so on. Um, so my character specifically, uh, I guess, yeah, in this setting I, the lore for my character would be the big Transformers, the, you know, stuff like Multiplex or Omega Supreme and what have you, those, you know, bigger range of toys. And... <laughs> The lore was that you know when Cybertron like like formed, he had the primes and so on. Cybertron like went to sleep for the first time, and then the primes you know cracked open the well of all sparks, so at least there sparks in the thing. And with that first burst, that's when the Titans came to be. They were bigger than normal. They were different. They were more misshapen before everything cooled down and more Titans weren't born. So they were around since the start of everything throughout the history. And yeah, Multiplex was one of them. He was a gardener. He was like more in tune with the animals back in the day. And eventually throughout history he ended up, you know, being more used because he's a, a miner in a refinery. He refines, you know, all the energon that, you know, many different things needed. So, you know, when the autocracy came about and decided to, you know, use people, then you know, he was sent to the mines. You know, somewhere around where Megatron was as well. That's why he joined the Decepticons, because, you know, people were oppressed and that wasn't good and the autocracy has failed us, therefore it has to be overthrown. You know, people won't be just used for what they were, they should be defined themselves, not, you know, be based on the art form. So he joined the Decepticons and, yeah, fought in the war. This is the early part for a long while. Eventually got seen some battle damage, went to Stasis Log for probably thousand millions of years or what have you, and out more recently after everybody left and you know the planet sights of relief and what have you. So Multiplex, he's a gen, he's about the Omega Supreme size, because as far as it would be to play something multiplex size, it would be logistically kinda of hard in the fellowship. Yeah, way too big. Yeah, as fun as that would be. Yeah, he's a hauler, digger, and so on. He's a big, bulky thing um, with drills and what have you. And, you know, eventually he gets used as a transport for our adventure for a while. Yeah, he's like old, uh, kind of rusty, decrepit, you know. There are nooks and crannies in him. There are entire compartments where people used to live and work and what have you. And, yeah, he's a giant. Here that's roughly it. Yeah. Um, also, Lord. There's something about your character I wanted to add about the giant, but I can't remember. It's a fun playbook. Yeah. It's very. It has a lot of utility to it, and you can do a lot of fun stuff with just eating people. Yeah. <laughs> that was really. One of my fun. basic. You, you fucking throwing me everywhere was amazing. Yeah. One of my basic moves is I can throw people, not necessarily enemies all the time. I can always throw my allies, and we use them more so than throwing enemies. Yeah. Well, the options you can pick is that they land there safely. So. <laughs> well, I don't have to pick that option. Yeah. Wham! <laughs> And yeah, um, his agenda is to be a gentle giant, so not harm anyone who hasn't harmed me or my friends. 
So, you know, there's a little bit of back with you there, because, you know, I sh sure could go in guns blazing and just, you know, pummel everyone, but I don't want to be like that. I want to be a pacifist now, more so at least, as much as I can. Yeah, he was built to be more, you know, both fighting character and also a support character, so he's got a lot of healing, he's got, you know, healing herbs, abrosia, he can regenerate himself and got tons of giant food and blah blah. Useful stuff. You know, definitely a fun playbook. Yeah. So, for the Overlord playbook, um, so I technically am a player in this game, and I get to play the framework playbook that we choose, and because we only have as a, I picked the Overlord framework. I couldn't really pick the other two, and I didn't want to anyway. I, I didn't want to play the Empire, and I didn't want to play the Horizon. So, with the Overlord playbook, I am one person, uh, my character is one person who has a consuming desire to do a thing. They have to gather sources of power that give them more Overlord stats, which make them more, you know, uh, formidable. I have generals and armies, and I have, like, a plan and a means to get it. And for this Overlord, I didn't really know what we were doing going in. Like, I didn't really have an idea for who the Overlord would be until, like, we got real close. And I decided on um, Tarantulas. Tarantulas is, is a character that originally came from Beast Wars, uh, which was a direct sequel to the Generation 1 cartoon. Uh, he was a scheming, gross scientist guy who was a traitor and a double agent. He worked for the Decepticon High Council, or the, the Predacon High Council, and then later turned out he was a spawn of Unicron. There's this whole this shit going on with him in the Beast Wars cartoon. And he actually exists in the IDW cartoon uh, comics as well, where he was called like Mesothalus, and then he found a tarantula and based his alt form off that and called himself Tarantulas. And I'm like, ah, that's pretty cool. And he, he's a crazy person in the comics. Like he has something called the Nightmare Zone or the Scream Zone, where he built his lab into, which is a parallel dimension that's screaming all the time. It might be called the Noise Maze or something. Wow. And like he has an organic spider alt form at some point, and he can shrink. At one point in the comic, he shrinks into a dude's head and is talking to his head, acting like he has a radio transceiver built in. And when the dude's like, I did everything you want. Do I get a reward? It's like, yes, you get your reward. And in the middle of the other Autobots, that dude's head blows open and a giant spider crawls out. <laughs> and it's all like, it's me, surprise! <laughs> it's me, Mesophallus. Yeah, he, he is a nut job. So I thought, hey, this character might be pretty good to use as the Overlord. He's a scientist who's gotten a little bit strange and he's a Decepticon and he's up to something. So I really can't go into more without like giving away stuff about the story you're about to hear. I mean what was your playbook? Like oh your goal was to get source of power or like I, I, I didn't have one. I literally didn't have a goal till halfway through the game. Yeah. <coughs> Jesus <laughs> What's your army? Oh I picked uh, I picked the bugs. The swarm and I made them insecticons. And yep. I'm like, he has Insecticon Swarms, and then his general's Hardshell, a big Insecticon. Look up Hardshell from Transformers Prime, the cool version of the Insecticons. Yep. And what, he found an ancient ship somewhere out there? Yeah, space, yeah, blah, blah, blah. he has a ship. It gets explained in the game, though. Yeah. It's like a whole reveal, like it's a mystery about what's going on and stuff. He has this ancient Golden Age Cybertronian ship that he's brought into orbit and he's doing awful stuff with. Yep. And people are, are uh, being upset by what he's doing because he's he's doing shit. He came back into orbit, murdered some sort of community as test of his weapons, and then episode He's up to stuff. stuff. Yeah. So the the pitch, the start for the game is that he's he is here on an ancient, like like super advanced ship. He has insecticons under his control. 
He has a general, like an Insecticon general, and they're they're doing stuff on the planet, and like all these burnt out post-apocalyptic communities across the planet are worried because everyone's trying to go into stasis lock and go into hiding and go into vaults and, and shut down and wait for the war to start again. And this guy's coming here causing trouble. And I think that's really everything for the game. Is there anything else people want to talk about before uh, we wrap for the intro? The game starts right after you know, everybody leaves on the Ark, pretty much. Yeah, like, like no, it doesn't. No, not at all. It's no. like thousands of years after the Ark has yeah. left. Like, it's it's a long time. It happens after the Ark leaves. Not directly after. Yeah, not the day but after. fairly shortly after in terms of a Cybertronian life span. Like, I don't know. I'd say a million or two years. You know, it's significant. Next episode. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Yeah. That's pretty much it. You guys have banded together because you know each other, because your communities all have vague communication with each other to like try and alleviate the problems that are being caused. And I think right after session one, like session one is you guys are just helping people. Right after that session two, it's like you are on the overlord. You're like, we got to deal with this fucking guy. Yeah, I think that's also like one of the um, stuff you, like going into the fellowship, that's what was already pre-established. You don't get her, get your group together. You don't have a session about oh, should we or shouldn't we deal with the overlord? No, you, you come in and it's already pre-established. Yeah. You guys have been shown by the community. You are solving this issue. You are taking down the overlord. The council of overlord is done. You've taken the mantle. Yeah, exactly. Solve this bullshit. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like we are, we are, we are in the fucking story now. There's no fucking tavern session. Jesus Lord. Yeah. But I think that's it. I think that's everything we can talk about for the game, and then what's going to happen is the game after this. Yep. So we're good? Yep. All right. Well, I was Devin. Nicole. Tyler. Kevin. And Peter. And this is sponsored by Nobody. Signing off.